Welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from Training Industry. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Learning. I'm Taryn H. DeLong, Managing Editor of Digital Content at Training Industry. And I'm Sarah Gallo, an Associate Editor. This episode of the Business of Learning is sponsored by GP Strategies. GP Strategies enables people and organizations to perform at their highest potential, creating a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. Subscribe to the GP Strategies podcast, Performance Matters, where they interview industry experts and explore best practices and share innovative insights on topics like the one we'll discuss today. As we record this episode in January of 2021, the future of work has perhaps never been more uncertain. The coronavirus pandemic has shifted both how many businesses operate and how many employees do their job. To learn more about what the future workforce will look like and training's role in developing it, we're speaking with Keith Keating. Senior Director and Global Learning Strategist at GP Strategies. Keith, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, to get started, let's start with some definitions here. Future is a broad term. So, Keith, what do you consider the future workforce? It would be all of us. And I don't want to throw out an age bracket there because our workforce is working longer. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the future workforce really includes those who aren't even old enough yet to be working. But if I guess if I were going to categorize it, I would say that we're generally speaking, when we talk about the future of work or future workforce, we're generally talking about those that are going to be employed and working within the next 10 years. That's typically the time frame that we're talking about. Great. Thanks for defining that for us. Now that we know what we mean when we say the future workforce, what skills will it need to thrive? The best summary, and I'll give you some details, but the best summary is our human skills. And so those are the skills that really separate us from artificial intelligence, from technology, from robotics. It's empathy, creativity, it's problem solving. And it's not, you know, when we talk about problem solving, it's more around We don't need to know the answer to the problems. We don't need to be memorizing. We need to evolve from from memorizing answers, especially in higher education. We need to be learning how to think critically so that we can solve whatever problem is in front of us. We need agility, adaptability, social intelligence, resiliency, change management, growth mindset. Really, the list could go on and on, but again, it's about our human skills, our higher order cognitive skills. Keith, I want to uh, draw out one of the skills that you mentioned, and that's social intelligence. So we see a lot about emotional intelligence, which I think is definitely related to all the skills you were talking about. What do you mean by social intelligence? Is that related? It is related, but it's how we work with each other, how we listen to each other. So Emotional intelligence can be about yourself and how you're reflecting on yourself and how you are reacting. But that social intelligence is is how we act with each other, how we communicate with each other, how we build relationships. And the teamwork aspect is really important, especially as we think about the future workforces, whether we're virtual or whether we're in person, we're still going to be working with each other. And we've got to have that intelligence around how do we How do we work together as a group? Thanks. Do you see these skills shifting at all um, as things like remote work become more popular? How are these skills changing? 
That's an interesting question. I think that they're becoming even more prevalent, especially as we're relying and will continue to rely more on technology. The importance of focusing on those skills that that really separate us, the skills that make us human are what's going to empower us and enable us to continue to thrive or to be able to thrive in general. Thanks for elaborating on those skills. We've seen definitely an increased demand in all of these skills that make humans human. It's interesting to see how they become more prevalent and more important across organizations. So let's jump into how L&D can help the future workforce actually develop those skills. We can help them by creating a culture around lifelong learning and help them become lifelong learners so that we are constantly learning and evolving rather than thinking of learning as something that has a beginning and an end. It's something that is you go online, you take a class, you go into a classroom, or it's, it's event-based. Learning is something that's going to be with us for our entire life. We should and don't really ever stop learning, but we've got to be more conscious of it. And so by creating lifelong learners, we can help our workforce be prepared for the future and help to continue to develop those skills. Additionally, within learning and development, we need to be empowering and encouraging and enabling learners to take control over their future. And part of that is an outcome of being a lifelong learner. And I would say the third is focusing on skills. And so skills, 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 whether that's upskilling, reskilling, second skilling, it's a focus on skills instead of jobs. And some people use the term soft skills, but I don't, I'm not a big fan of that because they're not soft. The skills that we need to be focusing on are powerful. And so I use the term power skills. And within that skills framework is helping our workforce recognize the transferable skills that they have. Those are those portable skills that go with us wherever we go, regardless of our job titles. Skills like leadership, problem solving, communication, again, agility, adaptability, any of those skills that are really relevant regardless of our job title and then really speaking about job title. We need to help the workforce recognize that they're more than just their job. They're more than just their job title. There's actually one study that I recently found that identified over 50% of the workforce create their identity from their job title. And that can really create a limitation on the self-belief that we have in what we can do or who we can become. And we look at what's happening or what's happened in the last year within the job industry and the millions and millions of people who have lost their jobs, therefore potentially lost their identity. We need to help uncouple that identity creation from job titles. Because at the end of the day, we're not constructs. We're not binary individuals that are represented by these job titles that we've been labeled. A lot of times you'll hear people introduce themselves as, I'm just a cashier. I'm just a sales clerk. I'm just a teacher. So they're already creating this limiting belief that they are just whatever that, that title is, but we are so much more than that. And so the question was, you know, how can L&D help the future workforce develop these skills? We can do that by creating lifelong learners, by focusing on skills, and by helping our workforce recognize that they are more than just that job title. Their identity is much greater than that. 
I love um, a lot of those tips you gave, but especially the idea of soft skills being power skills. I'm going to use that. I definitely agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think also, you know, creating that culture of continuous learning and upskilling, like you mentioned, is a great way to prepare our employees for the future. Well, now that we've defined the term future workforce and have discussed what skills it needs and touched on how L&D can help develop those skills, Keith, as we record this episode, how well do you think the current L&D industry is preparing the future workforce? I'm going to answer that on a scale of one to 10, but I'm going to preface it that I'm part of this. And so, you know, I, I take ownership here as well as being in the industry, but I would say being very generous, we're at a five right now. <laughs> we're doing okay. There is so much more though that we could be doing and, and we need to be doing to move that five upward. What makes you rate the industry as a five? Could you elaborate a little bit on on what that looks like and what it might look like to be better? So I would ask you or the listeners, you know, there's one question that you should ask yourself right now to, to really answer that question is, do I know the skill gaps that exist today within my business unit or organization? So as an L&D professional, do I know the skill gaps that exist today? If the answer is no, then you've got some work to be doing right now, because as L&D professionals, we should be able to answer what skill gaps exist today, because we can't focus on the future workforce. We can't focus on closing the skill gaps of tomorrow if we don't even know where we are today. How are we going to know we're going tomorrow? So the first question is, do you know what skill gaps exist today within your business unit organization? The next question is, Do you know the skill gaps that may exist in three years? Are you connected to your business units? Are you connected to your competition? Are you connected to industry research to find out where the trends are, where the evolution is happening, where the directions are headed? And if the answer is no, then on top of not knowing where you are today, you can't figure out where you're going tomorrow until you start thinking about this broader picture. So you've got some research there to do. And so I'm going to emphasize that that word research because I think that one of the challenges that we have as an industry is we don't do enough research. And it's not just the industry. I think there's a lot of this in society as a result of this Twitter mindset where everything needs to be 150 characters or less. Otherwise, it's not going to get our attention. Otherwise, we don't want to read it. There was actually a study, and I can't remember who it was by, I think maybe Stanford University, where they tweeted out the headline to an article. And if you actually clicked on the link to get to the article, it was blank. It was the lorem ipsum letters. So it was actually no content. And the tweet itself had been liked and reshared around 60,000 times. So no one that had ever bothered to open it up to actually look at it to see where was the data behind it? What was the messaging? We just made our decision based off of the headline. And I think our industry is part of that. We're culpable as well. We like these spurious headlines. Like, for example, one that I advocate against strongly is future-proofing. We cannot future-proof anybody. But I see this a lot in our industry, whether it be an article, whether it be talking about skills or future workforce, it's we're going to future-proof. Do these five things and you're going to future-proof. 
No one can future-proof. If I had told you last year, you know, 12 months ago, hey, I'm going to give you the skill set to future-proof, and then COVID hit, and you were one of the millions of people that lost your job, you'd be a little bit upset. Hey, Keith told me that he could future-proof me, and I still lost my job. We can't future-proof. What we can do is future-prepare, and we can future-ready so that we can adapt, so that we can be agile, regardless of what situation we face as a workforce. And so the, the verbiage that we use, the terminology that we use is really important within our industry. And so we need to stop using these types of headlines and quick problem solving solutions. And, you know, this new technology is going to help you learn and wash your car and do your laundry at the same time. For me, technology is not the solution to everything. Technology is an enabler, especially in learning and development. And so we need to take a step back and we need to be focusing on more research within our organization, outside of our organization. And, and part of that also is we need to be better connected as an industry. To me, it feels very fragmented. And I think some of that goes back to that a big part of our industry is about sales. We're selling a solution. And not always does that solution truly solve the problem, or maybe it does solve the problem, but have we helped our learners? Have we helped our workforce figure out what the problem is first that they're trying to solve before we start trying to sell them some sort of solution that's not going to future-proof, but hopefully it will future-ready or future-prepare. And I think, too, we also need to be able to respond quicker to our learners' needs, and we need to be closer to them. And so for me, that's design thinking. It's empathy research. It's qualitative research so that we are trying to solve the problems of our learners Part of our responsibility is to have this beautiful toolkit. It has a ton of different tools in it. Could be technology, could be process, whatever's in there from years of experience and relevance. But when we are faced with a problem, it's taking a step back. And rather than just immediately going to the toolkit and grabbing the one that we think is going to solve that problem, we need to first figure out what the challenge is for our learners that we're trying to solve. And so that separates a little bit from focusing on the business who might be writing the check to focusing on the learners who are truly trying to create the solutions for and trying to help prepare to close that skill gap or prepare them for the future workforce. And so part of that is our responsibility from evolving, from being learning providers to being learning enablers. So that, again, we can empower, encourage, and enable our learners to take control over their future while we're also more focused and being learner-centric to help them solve their problems. So I know it's a lot of different <laughs> responses there and strategies, but that's why we're at a five. I think that we've got, we've got a lot more that we could be doing. These are just some of those, the ways that I think that we can help to improve and evolve as an industry, because the reality is our industry needs to continuously evolve, just like technology does, businesses do, and humans evolve, learners evolve. We've got to evolve alongside them, if not hopefully in front of them, so we can help pave the way for them. These are such great points you're making. I love what you said about, you know, we can't really future-proof anybody, but we can prepare them. I think last year definitely taught us we don't have a crystal ball. So uh, the, the point that you made about really needing to be able to do research is such a good point. Do you have any quick tips you can share for our listeners on how to get started doing more of that research within their organizations? 
Absolutely. So uh, I'll share two, internal research and external research. The internal research can be as simple as having conversations with your business partner about their current year priorities, their current strategies, looking retrospectively at the challenges they had last year. For example, right now, I'm um, having the conversations with what, what are our 2021 priorities? What were our 2020 challenges? What are the barriers that we think are going to happen or that are happening that are going to keep us from achieving our 2021 priorities? Just those three simple points can start the conversation. And that's just for that initial conversation of what's happening this year. Then you need to expand that a little bit. And what's our three-year priority? What are we looking at? What's, what's changing those next three years? Talking to our internal business partners, talking to our internal customers, whomever they may be, looking externally at our competition. What have they done in the past year or two that's evolved them? If looking at re researching, what have they published on reports on, in terms of their strategy? And then building on that to go externally, I would say the World Economic Forum, McKinsey Global Institute, and Burson or Deloitte would be the, the first three places I would go. I, I fully believe that as an L&D practitioner, it is my responsibility to be curating this information. There's a ton of free, great content out there on training industry, on ATD. I like starting with the World Economic Forum because it is made up of such brilliant people across multiple industries, and they're not selling anything. They're completely agnostic. So for me, I have my first go-to a couple of times a year just to look at what are they what are they reflective on last year? What are they uh, proposing for this year, for the next few years? And then I'll build off of that. So internal discussions and external discussions. One, one other internal discussion that we can have is creating a skills advisory committee. And it doesn't have to be anything complicated. It can be us from L&D, a business partner, a customer. It could be somebody externally. And we meet on a reoccurring basis to have the conversation about the two questions I asked earlier. Do you know what skill gaps exist today? Do you know what skill gaps may exist in the future? And we have a conversation and we facilitate that conversation. We pull in research from McKinsey, from Burson, from Deloitte, and we get a seat at the table because that's one of the things that L&D has to do. We've got to be a more integrated business partner and when I say that, oftentimes people will say, well, we don't have the opportunity. We'll make the opportunity. If a table doesn't exist for you to sit at, make your own table. And that's where the skills advisory committee can come in, is you can make that own table, be the one that sets up this reoccurring meeting. It could be every six months. It could be each quarter. And invite these people and facilitate the conversation so that we can move from that passive role into that active role of being a, a thought leader, of being a partner to our organization, to our workforce, so that we can be a part of the conversation and even help drive the conversation to support our future workforce. Thanks, Keith. Those are some great tips. All right. So we mentioned you know, earlier that 2020 changed a lot about the workplace, notably a widespread shift to remote work and remote learning. Could you talk a little bit more about how 2020 impacted the future workforce? 
You know, it accelerated changes, but we already knew those changes were coming. We didn't know exactly how they were coming. We certainly didn't know that they were coming right now. But we have in the, in the industry been talking about, we'll just focus on the, on the biggest catalyst, which was virtual work. We've been talking about the desire for that, the need for that, the value of that. But then we also talk about all the reasons it could never happen. IT wouldn't allow it. Uh, people aren't going to actually get their job done. Businesses won't thrive. No one's going to be able to work at home with all those distractions. There was all these reasons why it couldn't ever happen. And then magically it did happen overnight and businesses beautifully reacted to it. We have shown this resiliency. We've shown this agility, this adaptability. And so the question you asked is how has it impacted the future workforce? I would say that it's only accelerated the changes that we already knew were coming. There isn't anything that has happened that we didn't already predict. It just was a lot sooner than we thought it was going to be. But I think that it has put a lot of focus on these human skills that we've been talking about, the agility, the adaptability, the resiliency. And these are the core skills that we want for our workforce, because the truth is, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what type of problems our business is going to try and to be solving. We don't know necessarily all of the skill gaps or all the, the gaps in general that are going to exist. What we do know is that we want our employees to be linchpins. We want them to be able to fill the next organizational gap, whatever it is. And in order for them to be able to do that, they need to be agile. They need to be adaptable. They need to be resilient. They need to have a growth mindset. And that's what we've seen from 2020 is the focus on those core skills and it's really helped emphasize and reemphasize the need that we need to continue focusing on these power skills. There's a lot of changes that happen because of COVID, but it's also important to think about, you know, other things that are happening in the workplace and in the world right now. So what other factors are you seeing influencing the future workforce right now? I think the first one is education, and that could be lack thereof. It could be the higher education system not responding quick enough to learners' needs, being a bit archaic. You know, if you look at the 1700s and all of the different functions within the 1700s compared to today, one of the only ones that still exists that hasn't changed at all is the brick and mortar concept of school. And we have this year evolved into virtual learning, but I don't know that, that the curriculum, that the design has evolved quick enough to meet the needs of our learners, which we're especially seeing in K through 12 and the struggle that we're having there. So education is, is influencing our future workforce. The demographic shifts, the changing size distribution or the age profile of our working population. We've got rapid urbanization. So we've got a significant increase in the population that are moving to live in cities. We've got global economic power shifts. And so those are the, the, that's the power shift dynamic between developed and developing countries. For example, Africa is quickly and will continue to become a powerhouse when we look at outsourcing. And then we've got robotics, automation, and technology. And that impact, that influence as 
technology works beside us as it augments us and augments our skills and the way we work. These are all different factors that we've got to take into consideration when we think about the future workforce and those influencing factors. Yeah, those are all super important factors that we should all keep in mind for sure. Well, to wrap things up today, Keith, what predictions do you have for the L&D industry in 2021 and how this year will shape the future workforce? I'm going to change the word predictions to hope. Uh, <laughs> these are these are this is some hopes that I have for this year. I don't know the you know pr- prediction can be pretty limited or a little bit declarative. So my hope for the industry is that we can integrate more within our organization, that we can evolve and continue to evolve from being order takers to being trusted advisors. My hope is that we can continue to focus on transformational diversity and inclusion and equity, making our training more equitable for our employees. I'll give you an example, tuition assistance versus tuition reimbursement. Tuition reimbursement, which most organizations have, is not an equitable opportunity of learning because it requires the employee to pay out that money first. And that makes an assumption that that employee can carry that cost for four or five or six months until that course completes and they turn in their grades and they get that money reimbursed. And so a lot of employees actually can't take advantage of that because they can't afford it, or some that do have to carry that balance in their credit card, which means they're getting those credit card fees each month until that gets paid off. Rather than tuition reimbursement, we need to have tuition assistance, which creates equitable opportunities so the company actually pays out that money on behalf of the employees. We need to be focusing, or we will hopefully be focusing, on learning in the flow of life. And I'm hopeful about this because we've been talking about, for a number of years, learning in the flow of work. We no longer have a stopping and starting point of work because many of us are working remote or working from home. Our lives are blended now with work. And so it's not just learning in the flow of work, it's learning in the flow of life. I think that we're going to hopefully see a continued investment in training and development and learning and development for our employees so that we can help them focus on these power skills so that they can continue to establish and build on these critical mindsets that we've been talking about. Agility, adaptability, resilience. I'm not going to repeat them all. There are human skills. So this is my hope for this year. Perfect. All right. Well, Keith, thank you again for speaking with us today on the business of learning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. For more insights on the future workforce, check out the show notes for this episode at trainingindustry.com slash trainingindustrypodcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at trainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.